0: Welcome to the Sellernomics Podcast, where we share valuable tips and information in the Amazon and e-commerce space. Each week, we deliver the best interviews with some of the top Amazon personalities in the industry to help you grow your business. Today's episode is brought to you by Gatita, the global leader in FBA auditing and reimbursements. Get $400 in free FBA reimbursements at gatita.com slash sellernomics. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Stanley and Lisa Kinsky.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Sellernomics. My name is Lisa Kinski and I'm joined by my co-host, Rob Stanley. And today we have a very interesting conversation for y'all. We're speaking with Jeff Schick of Jeff Schick Legal about how to navigate Amazon suspensions and really just all things legal on Amazon, talking about compliance, suspensions, and getting reinstated. So let's go ahead and bring him on board. Welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it, guys. Nice to see y'all.
1: Of course. So great to see you too. So, we're going to do like what we always do, right? And talk about the business at the end of the episode because we want to get straight to the content. But I think a a good starting question is how long have you been an attorney and playing in the Amazon space?
2: So, there's actually two answers to that question. So, the attorney question is five years. So, that's kind of easy. Playing in the Amazon space—that's the harder question because I actually started in 2011. So what is that? 12 years now, 12 and a half years. So pretty. Uh, I've been here for been in Amazon for a, a bit because I used to sell on Amazon as a seller full time, doing wholesale arbitrage. So that was my uh, business model back in the day.
1: Gotcha. Okay. So with with that in mind, I we. Want to know the question of like, what's the most interesting case that you've handled so far this year, but I'd also be interested to hear what's the most interesting case you've handled in general, maybe pick the most interesting of the two. (laughs) All right.
2: So most interesting case this year um, is a, uh, that one's, it's, it's one where Amazon actually told the seller that they, and their attorneys actually told the seller that they had been suspended for a quote unquote, you know, like abuse on the platform. And they claim they were claimed to be abusing another seller, and and it was not really true, but they, that's what Amazon was claiming. And so and they went full, you know, throwing the book at them. You know, you're suspended. No appeals were working, and it was just that was that was what they were they were gonna that was that was their guns, and they were gonna stick to it. Um, we got Amazon's attorneys involved. Their attorneys actually came back and said, "Yeah, we stand behind Amazon." And your seller is not welcome on Amazon and they will never sell again. Oh that was pretty harsh. And so I actually had to schedule a call with the seller to tell them this news. You know, obviously it's not uh, not the news anyone wants to hear that Amazon's attorneys have said that you'll never sell again. And so I told her, okay, you know, book a call with me. She put it up, you know, we put a call on the schedule for like in a day or two. And I said, just, you know, in case you, you feel like it's here's one more appeal to submit. And so expecting full well that it wouldn't work, but I just wanted just to see, you know, yeah, it's just, you know, a different version on the appeal, different writing style. What would happen if we changed what we were saying and, you know, try a different shot? And so believe it or not, she calls me the next day at our scheduled time when I'm and I'm like, so, you know, I'm so sorry for the news that I'm about to deliver. She's like, Well, what is that? I'm like. Well, that you're, you know, the the this issue with Amazon we heard back from their attorney. She's like, Oh, but I got reinstated ten minutes ago. <laughs> and I was like, What, excuse me? <laughs> you know, and she goes, Yeah, the appeal that you wrote worked. <laughs> it was they reinstated me 10 minutes ago. So I'd say that was an interesting case in the sense that she, you know, Amazon's attorneys were standing behind this seller performance rep that had told had marked up the account as a do not reinstate. And somebody else reviewed a new appeal from scratch and gave her a second chance. So that was, that was kind of an interesting case. I would have to say now you asked about most, most interesting case ever. There's a lot of them. One of them that I'm actually working on right now has to do with, um, sellers engaging in abusive conduct towards consumers and so one of the sellers that i work with is a whistleblower and so that's been an interesting case that we're working on where we exposed this massive fraud on amazon and they're currently investigating it Um, and actually they've been taking it extremely seriously and so they're they're slowly but surely working through about a thousand pages of case data that i sent to them and Slowly but surely, taking asins and sellers off the platform for engaging in, in consumer abuse. So wow. that's kind of an interesting wow. one.
1: That that is crazy, and and I like those two examples because they outline two different things that can get you suspended off Amazon. But what yeah. I'm sure this is a like grocery list long answer. But okay. what what can lead to a seller getting suspended?
2: Really? Well, so interestingly enough, the number one thing that causes sellers to be suspended is a bot flagging a behavior. So they flag a pattern. Maybe you've got high review. Like if you're a private label seller, you might have a lot of returns on a product or negative experiences, NCX experience, negative customer experience. That flags for a human then to review the account. Um, Alternatively, sometimes sellers create their own problem. So like I had a seller this week, she reached out to me, she said, a buyer accused me of being a bully in my, in my buyer, in my messages and wrote me a one-star review saying that I was rude to her. I need to get that off the account. And I, having worked with the seller for a good bit of time, understand that some of her messages are quite condescending. (laughs) And so, um, so to put it, put it mildly would be a way to, to say it. So I actually called her and I was like, Hey, um. I think you should leave that one-star review and just you learn from it. And she goes, "What do you mean? I need this off my account. I don't want this re- reputation." I said, "If you try to fight this, they're going to read all of your messages. And if they think that you were rude to the buyer, you might change this from a one-star review to an account suspension for being abusive towards a buyer. Mm-hmm. So I would let it go. I, I would. This is not the hill to die on. This is one that you just you chalk it up that you got a one-star review. Move on. <laughs> it's yeah. just one review. Yeah, uh,
3: Jeff, you brought up a good point, and and I'm kind of curious. Like when Amazon sellers do get suspended or notice of suspension, yeah. what is the best way for them to handle that? And uh, you know, what have you seen that seems to work? Do they do nothing? Contact you? <laughs> what is there something they can do themselves? Yeah, fill um, in uh, a little bit.
2: Yeah, so I would say there's kind of like a three step process. The first step is read what you're being accused of. Half the time sellers I talk to don't do that. And it's actually really important to know, like, okay, I'm being accused of doing this behavior. Actually figure out what they're accusing you of. Um, it's really crucial. Then you go from there is to then really think about it and say, okay, because everyone's got reaction is I didn't do that. I, you know, I wasn't rude to a buyer. But look back and say, like, is there a way that is there an alternate theory? You know, maybe I was rude to a buyer. Maybe I wasn't quite so perfect and think about what are some of my behaviors that may have contributed to this notice. You know, for instance, I have a seller that was accused of selling counterfeit products. When we started asking where he bought them from, he bought them from a vendor in China and they're branded products from retail, you know, online arbitrage products. There's probably could be something there that you buy, you know, these products probably might not be authentic. So, you know. We have to step back and sort of say, well, what could I have done that contributed to this? And then once you have those questions answered, that's when you can really start to write an effective appeal. And either you write it yourself or you get professional help. I mean, certain types of appeals, it makes sense to get professional help from the start. Like if you're being accused of selling counterfeit goods, or like we've had a couple sellers get suspended for selling stolen goods this year. Um, wow. wow, that's that's actually another interesting case <laughs> to talk about, which where that's it brings a whole another dimension, but um those are examples you want to really think carefully about what you say because uh, like in the stolen goods case that's actually being investigated by both amazon and the california highway patrol so chp is involved and so what you say could have adverse impacts against you in a real court of law and not just an amazon appeals process um and then and then of course to get professional help if you if you need to some some people can do some appeals people can do themselves, like. All right, for instance, you're being accused of shipping products late. You had COVID. You didn't ship products on time. Uh, you didn't have any system in place for someone to help ship your products on time for your merchant fulfilled orders. Well, that one's probably pretty self-explanatory. I had COVID. I didn't have backup systems. Now I've got backup systems. It's really what they're yeah. looking for in a couple more yeah. sentences.
3: Yeah, uh, Jeff, yeah. a quick follow-up question to that. So kind of going on that example of the stolen good type thing, yeah. Um, you know, is there anything that, uh, a retail arbitrage person or Amazon or especially retail arbitrage can do, let's say you're at a flea market or your garage sale and you see something and it's brand new in the package, still got the label on it. Um, I mean, should you be getting the person's information or, or just don't buy it? What What's your thoughts on that?
2: So if you're at a flea market or a garage sale or a Goodwill or any sort of thrift store, that is a great place to buy items for Facebook marketplace. But not for Amazon. So that's like the first thing where people get in trouble because they buy it and they're like, oh, it's brand new. So I should just sell it on Amazon. But if Amazon asks you for proof of authenticity, you don't have it. You have no way to prove that what you bought was authentic. And you know, um, I think you know Ashlyn Haddon, of course, like every everyone does. Um, she and I actually went shopping in Hong Kong, uh, down one of those little side streets, and it was funny because Um, You may have heard the story about how I got my fake Breitling watch, but I got, you know, we walk in there and the guy was like, Hey, I've got real Breitlings. And I'm like, Oh, how much are they? A hundred dollars. Ashton's like, he'll take it for 50. (laughs) The guy was like sold. (laughs) So I have this $50 Breitling watch that actually, when you pull up all the, like the tests for it, it like that reflects the light in the proper angle. Like everything shows up in blue, you know, all this different stuff. It passes all the tests. It may have been made in the same factory, who knows, but it just goes to show it's like it it alongside a real brightling would look completely real, but it's not real. And that's the risk that people run when you buy products at like a thrift store, because it might look legitimate and it's completely fake. And you just don't know. So
3: just not that, worth it, basically.
2: No, not at all. Because, you know, that one item, like maybe you make two, maybe even if you're going to make $500 as your ROI, you buy it for five bucks, you see it selling for five, 600 on Amazon, you're going to make $500 in profit sounds great until you put it in their perspective of, is this the last product I ever want to sell on Amazon? Or at least the last product I want to sell on Amazon for a very long time. And if, you know, most people won't give that, won't make that trade.
0: So
1: So you mentioned before that there's certain suspensions and circumstances where sellers can kind of advocate for themselves, right? At what point in time do they need to get an attorney involved? What's kind of like points A, B, C. If you match these, you've got to get some sort of representation.
2: If it has to do with intellectual property, I'm always a big advocate for getting an attorney involved right from the start. So um, a case that I had last year really demonstrates why this is important. It was a private label product that they were accused of infringement and they got suspended on Amazon. They uh, First, the ASIN was suspended and then Amazon suspended their account they, instead of hiring an attorney, they went to an, you know, an appeal service and hired somebody to write an appeal for them. Fine. Makes sense because that's what most sellers would do. Except the person writing the appeal didn't understand intellectual property law at all. So yeah. they're writing an appeal saying this product should is not infringing. It should be, you know, the seller should be allowed to sell on Amazon. They hit all the bullet points that Amazon needed to hear to reinstate the product. And the product gets reinstated and the account gets reinstated. Sounds fine, right? No one sees a problem yet. The brand brand goes and files another another IP against the seller. When they see that this happens, again, seller submits the same appeal as before. Product gets put back online. Um, Two days before Christmas, the seller reaches out to me because they said, I was just served with a federal lawsuit and I'm being sued for $150,000 um, and how, and and because of, tra- of trademark infringement, what what do I need to do to make this go away? Can I just write an apology email? I'm like, ah, you're past that point now. <laughs> and when you read the 100 page case filing that included copies of their appeals submitted to Amazon, it became re- really apparent that there probably was an element of infringement. Um, and so of course we took on the case, we defended the seller, ultimately reached a settlement but um, that cost them a lot of money. And if they would have reached out to us first, instead of just appealing with Amazon, we would have looked at it from the perspective of, wait, we're not talking about a, a Amazon. We need to talk, get to the root cause of the intellectual property allegation. And we would have told them from the start, hey, there's, there's a problem here. And you need to change this product before you ever even consider selling it again. Um, and instead, they just kept, you know, they went in from the, uh, infringement category to the willful infringement category, because after that first IP claim, every sale that they made from that point forward was was willful infringement, oh, and goodness. were subject to enhanced damages. So and wow. they you know so they all ended up settling with the brand for almost six figures, and uh it was yeah it was an expensive lesson that yeah. they could have avoided probably you know <laughs> probably would have settled for zero if they would have gotten proper legal advice on how to handle an intellectual property claim.
1: Yeah, for sure. We're gonna take a quick break here from our sponsor, but when we come back, I wanna to talk to you about where to find an attorney to help with these types of claims. So we'll be right back.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Gatita, the global leader in FBA auditing and reimbursements. Get $400 in free FBA reimbursements at gatita.com slash sellernomics.
1: All right, you guys, be sure to head over to katita.com forward slash sellernomics for that first 400 and FBA reimbursements free. We are back with Jeff Schick. So Jeff, like you just mentioned in that case where the seller was facing an infringement you know, situation, yeah. a case, and they went to an appeals service and they really should have started with an attorney. Right. You can find any kind of profession, I'm putting air quotes around this, on like Fiverr and and any of these other like online marketplaces, right? Right. Is that, I'm sure the answer is no, but is it advisable to get an Amazon attorney off of somewhere like Fiverr where there's freelancers or is there a benefit to having someone based in your your country of origin, either where you live or the store is based?
2: So American law is very different from every other country so where people run into issues because i've had a couple sellers come to me lately and they're like oh i hired this attorney off of fiber who's in pakistan which is great if they're an attorney in pakistan but we're selling on amazon in the united states so nothing that they tell you about the law is relevant i mean they might have an idea like like i for instance if a seller comes to me and says i don't understand this european union regulation i can read it and probably figure out what it's saying because I have enough experience as an attorney, but I would always preface it with this is my interpretation as an American lawyer. I'm not licensed in the European Union, so you need to find somebody in the EU to give you an actual legal opinion on this. But this is just me reading it to, alongside you and what I, how I would interpret it. Um, the problem is, is that most of the Fiverr attorneys that are based in like Ukraine or even if they're in France or the United Kingdom or Pakistan or India, They're not giving that disclaimer they're telling sellers i'm an attorney and i can help you and then they're telling them like oh this american law means this and it's like well maybe not (laughs) and they're not putting any research into why they're having that opinion so um having an attorney that's in the united states is important or at least licensed in the united states like for instance yael kabili everyone knows her she's actually licensed in new york so even though she lives in israel and has her office in Israel, she's licensed in New York. So she has that understanding of American law. Um, Whereas somebody else that's in Israel that's not licensed in New York would have no value of what they could add because they're not licensed in the United States. So,
1: Is there any, in situations where a seller may have used a, um, internationally based attorney off of fiber and they did yeah. follow their advice and it ended up getting them suspended store completely closed down, whatever. Is there any recourse that that seller can take against that attorney for following that bad advice or no?
2: Not really. Cause you wouldn't be able to, so like in the United States we have malpractice laws. And so you could go after a, a, a lawyer's malpractice insurance policy in the U.S. In most foreign countries, they don't have that same scheme. Like you can't necessarily go after a foreign attorney or it's kind of a even if you do go after them, what are you collecting against? Because if they're the type of attorney that's charging people fifty bucks for a one-hour consult, how you know how much assets are there really going to be that they're that you're going to be collecting against? And so that becomes part of the problem too. Yeah, wow,
3: absolutely, Jeff. I want to I want to get your opinion on a little bit when it comes to AI and legal yeah. advice. So okay. there is some AI services out there that are allegedly can give you legal advice. And then, you know, of course, I want to throw chat GPT in there. We've heard that chat GPT yeah. passed the bar allegedly, and, right. or AI did. And, uh, you know, so how, how is that kind of, you know, how are you seeing that affect sellers uh, both positive and negatively and how is it affecting your business and what's some advice on that?
2: So we haven't had any effect on our business so far because a lot of our, like the advice that we give sellers is very, fact driven and specific to their situation. So we don't have any real boilerplate, like canned responses that we give for a majority of the stuff that we do. So AI has not had too much of an effect on us. Um, I'd say, you know, it can, it can be helpful. Um, in fact, like for instance, you know, I had a seller come to me they there in Canada and they wanted help understanding a regulation that had to do with the health Canada a- uh, regulatory agency. So they typed it into chat GPT and it gave them a whole bunch of links to look at and I clicked on all the links and they were, it was valid. Like it was good. It was good as a, as a starting tool to then go and read the laws for themselves. But it wouldn't like, I wouldn't, for instance, have taken, like, if they were to say, does my product comply with health Canada regulation, blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't rely on that because that's, it just, it's not going to be able to make a determination. Like it might have an idea, but, I, you know, I would still always tell a seller like, Hey, why don't you get, get someone who works on health candidate cases every day and let them tell you that because it's worth it to pay them 500 bucks and have somebody to sue if they get it wrong. Yeah.
3: Yeah. I mean, it, it kind of feel like, you know, it, it's one of those things that ChatGPT yeah, GPT is great for a lot of stuff, but it, it doesn't know specifically the Amazon rule we're such a niche, right? Right. It, you know, yourself, you've come from selling and on Amazon, you understand, Understand the sellers, you understand the legal side of it. So yeah. you know, I definitely do not advise people trying to use Etsy to write a response to a you know suspension or a claim like that. Get somebody right. professional. So, uh, so Jeff, what, what, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about you know lawsuits and things like that. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the things that Amazon sellers can get sued for? Uh, just kind of high level yeah. general stuff.
2: Yeah. So one of the big things people forget about is that in the united states we have strict liability for product defects and product safety so that means that if you have a product that's unsafe you can get sued for it very very easily and amazon has been very aggressive in this front where because they usually are the ones that get sued first for an unsafe product and then they come in and tell the seller hey guess what you agreed to indemnify us so now now you know open up your checkbook and start paying our bills Um, product defect liability comes in three flavors. It's defective products. Like I, I built this, you know, lawnmower and forgot to screw on the bolt, the bolt that holds the blade and it chops off my foot defective product, easy to understand. Uh, defective design is a little bit more tertiary. Like people are like, Oh, what does that mean? And that's like, well, I made this lawnmower I could have put a brush guard on it that would make it safer, but I wanted to save 25 cents on each unit that I produced. Therefore, when somebody gets cut or gets their leg chopped off from not having a brush guard, um, I get sued and I'm responsible because I cut corners, basically. The last one people are always shocked about, and that's called failure to warn, which is like putting a warning label on saying, don't put your hand near a moving lawnmower blade. You actually have to put that warning label on there. And if you don't say it, then you can be responsible for somebody chopping their hand off because they didn't know any better that the blade could chop their hand off just like it could chop off grass. So having, so you have to do failure to warn that's those are like the high level ones for private label sellers. Um, of course people can get sued for trademark infringement and patent infringement and copyright infringement, you know, stealing your competitors, images and text that's copyright infringement. Um, stealing ideas from uh, famous sources Had had a private label seller who made a really cool you know game that was a knockoff of a children's book series based out of the uk and got sued by the children's book author for copyright infringement um you can get sued for that um prop 65 is always relevant these days especially for both retail arbitrage and private label sellers Prop 65 is those famous signs around California that say this product is known to the state of California to cause birth defects and cancer. Um, I don't think you can walk into anywhere in California without seeing one of those signs. (laughs) And Robbie's laughing because he lives in the Bay Area. (laughs) so He knows this. It's true. (laughs) And uh, and that's um, that, you know, that uh, if you don't put the warning on your product and it causes cancer, yeah, you're responsible. And it's usually about a $20,000 penalty um the cost of testing is about 500 bucks i would make that trade every day (laughs) testing is cheap penalties are not um other things people get sued for um that's those are kind of the high level ones there's of course going to be all we've had a whole bunch of like little weird cases as well like people doing online arbitrage that bought counterfeit products had three of those cases come in last week that we're working on. So, oh, wow. so the- let's,
1: let's talk about like the other side of the coin though. So instead of talking about somebody who can get sued for like that copyright infringement, trademark infringement, what yeah. can sellers do to protect their brands, you know, on to be sure that they're good to go, yeah. that they can, if they need to sue somebody for that, like how can they shore up the brand on their side?
2: So that's where building your own IP portfolio really comes into play. So filing trademarks for your, you know, for your brand name and for your product names—that's that's where you get your trademark protection. If you come up with a unique design, file a patent on it—a you know, design patent or utility patent—and um, then you know, copyrights. So you can file copyrights on your images, on your bullet points, on your you know, user manuals. You know, some people—I have one of my clients—they came up with a really cool like how to guide on how to use different sports nutrition supplements that they sell alongside their supplements. And I was like, copyright it. Cause one of these other sellers is going to knock this off. And when they do, you'll be able to go after them for the damages because they stole your book and it's worth, you know, cost $65 to copyright it. You can do it yourself at copyright.gov. Why not? It's cheap. You know, it's a cheap form of protection. So
3: that's awesome.
1: Yeah, yeah, sounds sounds easy enough to just kind of protect yourself on the front end. Like you said, it's it's yeah. it's like looking at the cost of an Uber versus a DUI. It's like twenty dollar <laughs> Uber, twenty thousand yeah. dollar DUI, depending on where you live. It's about what yeah. it runs here in Atlanta. So
2: <laughs> Yeah, I'd make that that trade any day with Georgia four hundred. It's no, <laughs> it's no joke.
1: Absolutely. I, which
2: I think you and I live off the same exit, which is even funnier. I've moved. So Oh you did. Okay. <laughs>
1: But that's off topic. What, um, as we come up on on time here, Jeff, what's, what's something that we haven't covered yet that you feel is really important for sellers to know as far as maybe navigating suspensions, protecting their brand, responding to suspensions? What's something that's really important?
2: So I would say one thing that sellers tend to get wrong with suspensions is they, they, they say, time is of the essence. I need to get this done today. They don't take the time to figure out why they're suspended and what went wrong. And so they rush into this process and you only get a limited number of appeals before you get sort of denigrated an Amazon's rankings where they're just kind of like, oh, he's appealing again. You know, we'll get to that when we get to it. So you really want to make sure that your first appeal is you're putting your best foot forward. Um, things you don't want to do. You never want to send them an email. I'm working on this and I'll get to this soon. That's a, that's a failure, automatic denial. Um, or I'm so sorry that this happened, it won't happen again, automatic failure. So you wanna take your time, give them the information they're requesting, nothing more and nothing less. And if you don't know what that is, that's when you should hire somebody, not after you've sent in, You know, I had someone, someone hire us after they sent in 17 appeals. Um, and we ultimately got their account back, but we had to go through Amazon's attorneys because once you have 17 appeals failed at the lower level, even the best appeal at that lower level is probably going to get rejected because the person reading it they have, they see 17 failures ahead of them. So they don't want to be, they don't want to say, well, they don't want to, you know, it starts to be this sort of like group think, well, if 17 other people have said this person shouldn't sell, do I want to be the 18th person that says they do and get it wrong and lose my job? No, they're just going to hit deny. So that's, you know, you want to put your best foot forward. We also don't want to put like 35 feet forward either. So
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point. 17 appeals. You're just digging your hole deeper, man. That's too much.
2: (laughs) Right. And like I had one case once, the seller sent me seven appeals that they submitted. They'd hired a service in Pakistan to do it. And there were seven. It's actually funny. One of the appeals that he submitted was one that I'd written for another seller. And I'm like, I don't know how you got this, but that's interesting. Um, But it had absolutely nothing to do with the case at hand. (laughs) So I was like, well glad that you're admitting to selling used products because this case has nothing to do with used products. So, And then all seven wow. appeals were about different offenses that he was admitting. And I, I think they were all written truthfully by other people that are in the space, you know, other either myself or other attorneys. And they were all about different topics. And by the time I got to it, I was looking, I was like, well, none of these actually covered why you were suspended in the first place. And then we wrote one appeal and actually got him reinstated. So wow. it was just, you know. Um, That's
1: just spinning a wheel of fortune of like, which appeal am I going to send them today? That is crazy.
2: Yeah.
1: My goodness. Well, we're going to take another quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about your practice specifically, what you guys cover, how you help sellers, who you can help. So we'll hear about that in just a second.
0: Today's episode is brought to you by Gatita, the global leader in FBA auditing and reimbursements. Get $400 in free FBA reimbursements at gatita.com slash sellernomics.
1: All right, you guys, again, getita.com forward slash sellernomics for the first 400 in FBA reimbursements free. Jeff, I want to hear more about your, is it called a practice? I know it's like a medical practice, <laughs> but is it a legal practice? Like It is, yeah. That's, that's okay. how I refer to it. Yeah, it's
2: my legal practice. So, Um, so I've got myself and then I've got four paralegals that work for me and we help sellers with all sorts of issues all around, you know, basically we have sellers on every continent at this point. So all around the world, we're helping sellers navigating Amazon. Um, we actually kind of, we're actually kind of, I'm actually pleased to announce, we actually launched a new service last week. Um, it's called account health pro. And that's where we actually have a team of three former seller performance investigators from Amazon that actually log into people's seller accounts Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, And they look for any sort of issues that could be a a problem, and then we take action. So we go ahead and address anything that we've got the information necessary to address. If we don't have it, we reach out to the client, we collect the information, and we submit it to Amazon on their behalf. So that way we just keep their account health management in check so they're not having to worry about uh, getting suspended. And if they were suspended we're there to help, so- help them solve it anyways. So it's uh, you know, but so far it's all about proactive solutions rather than, you know, making money off of people being suspended.
1: Yeah, so. definitely. It's, it's like monitoring for any potential legal problems to pop up. I love that. Right. So, yeah. so you mentioned that you have sellers on every continent now that you're working with, but I'm assuming that your area in which you can practice is focused on the U S marketplace. <laughs> is that correct?
2: so we can give legal advice only in the united states for the other markets if like for instance if someone gets suspended in canada we can still help them with that suspension it's just we can't you know deal with the legal issues that happen in those marketplaces so it's uh so we've actually worked on suspensions in every single amazon marketplace now but it's uh you know because it's they all follow the same process and the same procedures uh but if it has to do with like first if it was an intellectual property issue and the United Kingdom like I had a seller reach out to me yesterday who's in London and she was having an IP issue I was like you're really going to need a, in the UK they're called solicitors I'm like you're going to really need a solicitor that's licensed there in the UK to tell you whether you're infringing or not because I don't know the answer and I don't want to tell you yes or no in the United States the answer is no but the UK is very different and I can't tell you that you're not infringing based on UK law so um
1: and you've yeah. got to be very specific to put that disclaimer in there this is not advice.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
3: so and Jeff, do you do you find that you're helping uh a bit more like retail arbitrage, private label? Or, I mean obviously you handle all of them, yeah. but uh you know, is, is there ones that you specialize more? And the only reason I'm asking because I know you got somebody who's working for you who used to do retail arbitrage. Big shout out yeah. to Lewis out there
2: right yeah so we i mean we've got clients all across the gamut because in a, a lot of our clients are crossover so like i have one client that came to us and he was doing private label and then he can, he goes hey i heard you on this arbitrage podcast and i started doing arbitrage and now i'm making more money doing arbitrage alongside my private label and i was like that's cool <laughs> nice. so we have so a lot of our clients i'd say are like crossover clients where they'll they'll start in one area dabble in another so we have a pretty good mix of client base that just comes from, you know, but I'd say a majority of our clients have at least tried retail arbitrage at some point. Um, and then a growing size of them are doing private label now. So Awesome.
1: Gotcha. But there's no kind of like seller requirement by terms of size, in intensity, complexity of the case, like anything like that, that would be a requirement to, to hire you?
2: No, in fact, like, you know, we work with sellers that have not even launched yet all the way to sellers you know like some of my clients do eight figures a year other i have another client that is a doctor that he signed up because he was just he's starting to sell on amazon now for fun and he wants he knows the importance of having people in his corner to be able to ask questions for and he didn't want to do it alone so we've got you know we've worked with sellers that have sold zero all the way to you know like one of the sellers i worked with recently. On a Suspension is a number f- top five seller on Amazon. So it's just all around, you know, all over the board.
1: Amazing. Amazing. And um, if folks have any more questions for you or if they want to hire you or just learn more, yeah. where can they reach out?
2: So my website is the best way to learn more about what we offer. And then my email address is down below and we're happy, you know, we're happy to chat to sellers. That's what we do. I talk to between eight and 12 sellers a day, sometimes up to 15. I love it. I think it's fun. So it's uh. It's uh, it's my passion. <laughs> it's
1: Amazing. People. Awesome. Thanks. And for our audio Thanks. listeners, the website is jeffschick.com. That is J E F F S C H I C K.com. And the email is very simple jeff at jeffschick.com. We'll be sure to put those in the description for you guys. Thank, jeff, you. thank you so much for kind of coaching us through this and exploring the world of engines with us. I definitely learned a lot. <laughs> very useful.
2: Thank Absolutely. you
1: so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Absolutely.
2: Thanks, thank you. And
1: thank you so much for everybody who tuned in today. If you liked what you heard, please be sure to give us a thumbs up, share your comments and the thoughts, subscribe to the show, and we will see you on the next one.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on the Cellernomics Podcast. Special thanks to our sponsor, Gatita. Did you know that Amazon probably owes you money for FBA reimbursements? Get $400 in free FBA reimbursements at gatitacom slash sellernomics. Be sure to join us again next week for more great tips on how to grow your business. And thanks again for listening.